You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Islam has 99 names for Allah, but none of them is father. Nadia is an Iranian woman who grew up in a Muslim home. Her father was an angry and violent man. When people spoke of love and support from their fathers, Nadia had no idea what they were talking about. He was abusive several times, uh, beating Nadia's mom within an inch of her life and one time trying to kill Nadia's brother. Nadia fled Iran, ended up in the UK. An Iranian woman who wasn't a Christian but whose daughter had become a Christian told Nadia about a church And she went, and she heard about Jesus, and she was saved. She had a new faith and a new joy, and Nadia shared about her journey. But there was a great challenge awaiting me. I had to accept God as my father. In my mind, father was not a word of honor toward the God I had come to know. Mother would have felt like a much better word. But God wanted to reveal himself to me. And he did so with complete patience and gentleness. As I studied the Bible, I saw the grace and love of the Father. As I prayed, I felt the attention of the Father. As I worshiped, I felt the embrace of the Father. He healed my past, my present, and my future. He has transformed me. He even enabled me to truly forgive my earthly father. I used to hate the word father, but... Today I worship God the Father with great love and passion. I worship Jesus Christ as Lord, the one who has saved my soul, and I love to walk in the Spirit who is always with me. The gospel transformed Nadia. She was the first in her family to know, confess, and commune with the one true God. In time, Nadia's mom was saved. Her nephew, sister-in-law, sister, and brother were saved. She saw 11 people come to Christ, but not her father. He had left her mother for a woman her age. The family wouldn't talk to him, but Nadia reached out. And one day, Nadia's father told her over the phone that he had cancer And his young wife left him. Nadia's mother had grown in her faith at this point and went to care for the dying man who abused her and her children. Three days before Nadia's father died over the phone, Nadia shared with him about the thief on the cross who had died beside Jesus. And she told her father, like the thief, you can still be forgiven. Nadia wrote, my mother was there and held his hand as he smiled and asked Jesus to forgive and redeem him. Nadia said, I've had the chance to tell hundreds of Iranian women what the Father has done in my life. I speak of the Father's authority, the Father's attention, the Father's generosity, the Father's faithfulness, and the Father's love. Does it matter how we think about God? Absolutely. 
We believe God is our Father because God has revealed Himself as such and because He adopted us, cares for us, and loves us as His own. Theology is about coming to know God and finding confidence and comfort in all that He is for you. Theology is all important because our salvation, healing, sanctification, comfort, peace, assurance, joy, strength, and perseverance in this life of sorrows depend on knowing, confessing, and communing with God as Father. Here's a truth that's central to the gospel and central to your comfort in life and death. For the sake of Christ, God is your Father who works all things for your good because he is almighty and faithful and loves you. Oh, that you and I would come to know how our Father's authority, attention, generosity, faithfulness, and love benefit us. God has revealed himself to you in his written word as the one true God in which are three distinct divine persons. Now, this first point is a quick review of the last three weeks of this series, The Gospel for Life. In week one, we considered together what it means to truly believe. To truly believe in the gospel is to know the gospel, assent to the gospel, and trust in the gospel to the salvation, growth, and comfort of your soul. Everyone has faith in something. But true and saving faith is a saving grace that is wrought in your heart by the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. True faith is like life support. It's total dependence. And God creates and sustains faith through his word and sacraments given to us in the church. In week two, we considered together the importance of knowing God as he truly is. God graciously reveals himself to you so that by believing in him, you can rightly know, confess, and commune with him. God is incomprehensible, yet God reveals himself to you and me in creation and in Holy Scripture so that we can rightly know, confess, and commune with him. We considered the essence or whatness of God, which is his deity, self-existence, and self-subsistence. God is, I am, who I am. And God reveals himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son, in and through whom we know God. God came to us, and by his grace, we know, confess, and commune with him. Last week, week three, we briefly considered together the mysterious doctrine of God's unity and triunity. To truly know, confess, and commune with the one true living God, you must know, confess, and commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To know God is to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relationally, intimately, personally, and covenantally. To confess God is to vocalize your true faith in the one triune God. To commune with God is to hear God's self-revelation in Scripture and to depend upon God in prayer. And the Athanasian Creed is very helpful in thinking rightly about the Trinity. So in the past three weeks, we've gotten this far in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God. All right, so I trust that we have hopefully a better handle on what it means to confess that beginning part. Now, interestingly, Zacharias Ursinus thought that there should be a comma placed 
between God and the Father in the Apostles' Creed. Your sinus wanted to emphasize that the word God connects not only to the Father, but also to the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your sinus said, quote, for the word God is joined with the Father in such a manner as not to be separated from the Son and the Holy Spirit, end quote. So when we confess, I believe in God, the name God equally applies to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so naturally, as we move through the Apostles' Creed, we'll be considering each person of the Trinity and the wonderful works of God's creation, redemption, and sanctification. So today, we're thinking primarily about God as Father. God has revealed to you that he is the Father. Various times throughout the Old Testament, God is described as Father, and God's covenant people are described as his son or children. One example is Hosea 11, verse 1, where God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's interesting. And back in Exodus 4.22, God called Israel his firstborn son. Isn't that interesting? And then the apostle Matthew helps us understand what that means. Matthew applied that prophecy to Jesus, the perfect and faithful Israel, the only begotten son of the father who perfectly obeys the father's covenant Jesus referred to God as my Father who is in heaven. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now let's park on that for a moment. Jesus identified God as his Father. He, he also explained the intimate and exclusive relationship he enjoys with God the Father. Who knows the Son? The Father. Who knows the Father? The Son. And how does anyone else know the Father? The Son chooses to reveal the Father to them. Sinners come to know God as Father in and through God the Son. Sinners must receive the Son by faith to know God as Father. That is what Jesus said in John 8, 19. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Know the Son, know his Father. Nadia's father was abusive, and she didn't have true peace. She didn't have true joy until the day she encountered Jesus and in and through Jesus, she experienced reconciliation and fellowship with God the Father. And it transformed her. Many people experience what's often called a father wound. Have you heard about that? A father wound. And their earthly fathers had deeply hurt them. And there's ongoing pain from that experience. Sometimes the pain actually gets in the way of knowing, confessing, and communing with God as Father. But when hurting people encounter the gospel and come to be reconciled to God, to know God as Father, they experience healing, comfort, and peace for their soul. Knowing God the Father is for believers this Im 
immovable foundation of stability and security and love and safety and strength. In fact, knowing God the Father comes to define a believer's existence. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now that verse is very telling. There is one God. God is the Father. And all things are from the Father. He, uh, Paul's uh, simple little phrase answers the questions of existentialism. Why we exist. Paul said this of the Father. For whom we exist. That's your purpose, dear church. You exist for your heavenly father. He chose you, redeemed you, and adopted you to have you, to love you, and to care for you. Your very existence, your very life is about knowing, confessing, and communing with God, your father. Paul explained God's fatherly love for you in in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Paul said this, even as he chose us in him, and he's talking about in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why did the Father choose you before the world began and predestine you? Because he loves you in Christ, the beloved. His predestination secures your adoption. That's what Paul, the point that Paul is making. And Jesus achieved your adoption When you understand this gospel, what do you do? You praise the Father's limitless and glorious grace. Your sinus laid out three reasons why we think of the first person of the Trinity as Father. Number one, in respect to Christ, his only begotten Son. Two, in respect to all creatures as he is the creator and preserver of them all. Three, in respect to the elect, whom he has adopted as his children and whom he has made accepted in his beloved son. God is father. Now, why do little kids run to their daddy when they're scared? Well, they feel threatened. Some, something's scaring them, something's threatening them, and they run to their daddy because he gives them a sense of security and safety. But Why? Well, they believe that their daddy is big. They believe that their daddy is powerful and that he can protect them against anything. It's their father's present power mixed with their father's particular love that gives the children this sense of security and safety and comfort. When God reveals himself to you as father, he wants you to find security, safety, and strength in him as your father. This is why it's important to know, confess, and commune with God as Father. Next, God has revealed to you that he is the Almighty Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty. The Apostles' Creed is stating an attribute 
of God, of the Father. God says in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now the Greek word for almighty is a compound word composed of pos meaning all and kratos meaning dominion or might or power. To say that the Father is almighty is to say that the Father is omnipotent or all-powerful. Handel's Hallelujah Chorus, it captures this idea that we've heard this. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. As Father, God possesses unqualified, unlimited, and unrivaled power. He is sovereign. Because he is almighty, he is able to execute his divine will. The Father answers to no one and does whatever he wants to do. He is, his ability, rather, is absolute. David blessed the Lord in the assembly of Israel, saying this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And Job understood this about God. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135, 6 and 7 reiterate this truth, this wonderful truth. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Friends, the sun burns. History takes its course. Creatures lurk in the darkness of the depths of the sea. Clouds roll across the sky. Lightning flashes its brilliant light. Rain waters the earth and wind howls because God wills it all. The Father's power is incomprehensible. Many years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. Went crazy. But when his reason returned to him, he praised the one true living God. And this came from King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, let's say your car breaks down and you're waiting for the tow truck. And after two hours of frustrating boredom, you notice a thin man pulling up on a moped. And curious, you say, I'm just just waiting for the tow truck here. Little awkward moment there with him. And he answers, you're in luck. You're in luck. I'm your guy. I'm, I'm here to tow your car. Why are you a little confused? And, uh, and frustrated because the moped can't tow your car and you're not going to sit behind that guy on that moped even if he could tow your car. You didn't wait two hours to see some skinny dude come up on a, on a moped to try to tow your car. But if a shiny new Ford 
F-650 wrecker tow truck shows up, you're not worried at all. You're not asking any questions. Why the difference? Because power builds confidence and alleviates concerns. Isn't it true? Please think about this. Isn't it true that there's a correlation between your belief in God the Father Almighty and your confidence and comfort as you face the trials and tribulations of life. Isn't there a correlation there? You will be at peace when you believe two things about your heavenly Father. One, his power is sufficient for your greatest struggles, and two, he loves you. God reveals himself to you as Father for you to find confidence and comfort in his power and love toward you. The the Father is compelled by his love for you to use his power then to sanctify you and to promote your greatest well-being. And without that firm commitment, without that firm conviction that that is true, you'll be a mess. It's odd. Some professing Christians are unsettled by the idea of God's absolute power and sovereignty. And do you know what they do to it? They redefine it. Not according to scripture, but according to what they want God to be. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. And yet God's absolute power and sovereignty as it is presented in scripture are the bedrock of our comfort in life and death. Martyrs die believing at least two things. God the Father is omnipotent and sovereign over their life and he deeply loves them enough to keep his promise to work all things together for their salvation. In Ephesians 1, Paul referred to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Just think about that. Isn't that great? The Father of glory. And Paul talked about the immeasurable greatness of his power toward believers. He talked about the great might of the Father showcased in the resurrection and glorification of Jesus Christ. So if you ever wonder if the Father can help you, I mean, if the Father actually loves you, if the Father has your best interests in mind, if the Father's going to show up when you need him most and you're doubting it, if you wonder these things, if, if the Father is actually going to work all things for your salvation, simply consider this, the great might of the Father showcased in the resurrection and glorification of his Son. Believe the gospel and you'll find peace, rest, and security for your soul. Next, God has revealed to you that as the Almighty Father, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Westminster Confession of Faith 3.1 says that God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. The Father's sovereign will is wise and holy. According to his wise and holy will, he ordains whatever comes to pass. History unfolds according to God's sovereign will. And folks, this must be simply because God the Father is almighty. It must be. If God is not, just think about this for a moment, if God is not able to carry out his wise and holy will, he is not almighty and he is not God. Paul explained it like this in Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. It's awesome. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him, the Father, get this last part, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Did you hear that? God the Father Almighty works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, isn't it true, beloved church, that the ability to work all things according to his will is something God must possess because he's God? Is God truly God if he does not work all things according to the counsel of his will? And if he cannot work all things according to the counsel of his will, can we trust him? We need to think about what we're confessing when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We're confessing in part that God the Father works all things according to the counsel of his will. Jason Clark wrote the the unfortunate book titled, God is Not in Control. And on the back of the book, a charismatic faith healer commented, quote, the belief that God controls everything that happens to us is one of the devil's biggest inroads into our lives, end quote. And I'll I'll just say this, look, when I'm boarding a commercial airplane, and I put my life into the hands of the pilot. I don't simply want to know that the pilot is in charge of the airplane. I want to know that the pilot is in control of the airplane and my life within the airplane. The truth of God's omnipotence is inseparable from the truth of God's creation and providence. So next, God has revealed to you that as the Almighty Father, he carries out his divine decrees in his works of creation and providence. Creation and providence. So the Father has a plan for history. He's carrying out his sovereign and redemptive plan. The question arises, how does God the Father carry out his divine decrees? How does he make things happen, so to speak? And we'll get into this more next week, but the answer is explained in the Westminster Larger Catechism 14. It says, God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. So remember these two things. This is important as as we proceed, creation and providence. So when we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, uh, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we need to talk about the Father's creation and providence. Now, it might be helpful to think about God the Father's creation and providence in terms of an engineer inventing the squeeze flashlight. Have you seen those squeeze flashlights? He fabricates and assembles all of the parts And then he squeezes the handle, thus generating the appropriate power to sustain the light. The original uh, idea and the prototype were his, and the power that sustains the light is his. God created the universe by the word of his power. He brought all things into existence out of nothing by his power. Then the Father upholds, sustains, and governs creation by his power. Now, we'll get into creation and providence more next week, but creation and providence are truths that we must understand to know, confess, and commune with God the Father. 
like, like Nadia, these are truths that allow us to draw comfort from the Father's authority, the Father's attention, the Father's generosity, the Father's faithfulness, and the Father's love. So it's, it's wonderful to think about and, and to talk about God the Father. But until these wonderful truths become the bedrock of our faith, the bedrock of our confidence in God, we will not experience and enjoy the benefits that these truths provide for us. And that's the idea. God is giving us himself so that we benefit in relationship with him. We must believe and confess God as the Father Almighty, but even more, we must believe and confess God as our Almighty Father. God has revealed to you that for the sake of Christ, he is your almighty, faithful, and loving Father who will care for you and work all things for your salvation. Do you understand how this connects to week one? What does it mean to truly believe in God? This is connecting. We have to bring in what we've learned as we continue through the series. Belief is not simply knowing facts and assenting to the truthfulness of something. Belief is trusting into that something. Belief is having confidence in. Belief is receiving and resting on God who you know, confess, and commune with. What good is it to merely believe God is someone else's almighty father but not yours? You must know confess and commune with God as your almighty father. Now, Leon Shirk. Leon Shirk is my father, and I am glad that he is. Um, And I benefit greatly from knowing my father. And throughout my life, my father has loved me and my father has provided for me. My identity as Jonathan Shirk cannot be detached from the identity of Leon Shirk. I am his begotten son. So who he is as my father has benefited me throughout life. I know truths about Leon Shirk, but I have have also experienced the benefit of those truths through what? Through relationship with my father. And here's where Heidelberg 26 is so important and helpful. I'll read it to you, and I want you to hear how personal and relational Heidelberg 26 makes these these marvelous doctrines of God. The, The way that the answer is written, and this is how the whole Heidelberg Catechism is, this is why it's really, really good, is it it it's written that you would own the theology for yourself. You're confessing it. Because you find these things true and beautiful and wonderful. This is how theology ought to be done. Always thinking about how the truth of God applies to you in relationship with God. The question is, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? What are you meaning when you say that, when you confess that? And here's the answer. Listen carefully. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. Do you see what it's doing there? 
In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. Now, this helps us make sense of the point that I'm getting at. For the sake of Christ, God is your Father who works all things for your good because He is almighty and faithful and loves you. Jesus Christ, God's Son, came and died in your place that you might be reconciled to God and to enjoy Him as your Father. It is for Christ's sake that you have God as your Father And by confessing, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, you are confessing to have complete trust in God as your Father and that you believe that he will provide you all that you need, body and soul. You are confessing to believe that God, your Father, will work all things for your good precisely because he is almighty. He he does send you sorrow, Like loving fathers discipline their children, God brings difficulty to you in order to love you through difficulty and to work difficulty for your salvation. And the only reason you would trust him to do so is twofold. He is almighty and he does indeed love you. Heidelberg 26 says, he is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. If you don't know God as your father, you won't know his power, faithfulness, and love for you. You will not be able to see his hand in the events of your life. You won't be able to draw comfort from his tender and loving work in your life because you don't know him as almighty father. Know him as your almighty father and you'll be able to see his tender, loving, gentle, compassionate and powerful hand in the adversities of your life. How did Jesus teach you and I to pray? Simple, really. Our father who art in heaven. Why? He's wanting us to get an idea, an image in our mind, in a sense, that God is our father. Not the same as an earthly father, spiritual being, different, but our father in heaven. That's how God has revealed himself to be. Jesus taught that your father knows what you need even before you ask him. You can't pray right until you know God as your almighty father. You can't know the benefit of the forgiveness of sins until you know God as your almighty father. That's Matthew 6. Matthew 6 also reveals to you that you can't work through your worry unless you know God as your almighty father. The center of Jesus' argument in Matthew 6 is how to overcome worry in knowing and experiencing the power, provision, and love of God, the almighty father who is your father. He feeds the birds. He clothes the lilies. If this is the power, provision, and kindness of the father toward birds and plants, How much more then is the Father's power, provision, and kindness for you, his beloved adopted child? That's Jesus' idea. In Matthew 7, Jesus went further. Fathers, because they love their kids, they give them great and wonderful things. If Andrew, my son, is hungry and he needs some food, 
And you are frequently hungry, right, son? Yes. All right. He agrees. Will I give him a block of wood? No. No. Why? Because I love Andrew, and, and I'm able, as his father, to provide him uh, food uh, for him to meet his needs. He's my son. Jesus said, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You won't ask God for much until you know him as your almighty father. When you know him as such, you ask him for much. And if your almighty father brings difficult things into your life, you will not understand him or understand your life until you know him as your almighty father. You'll think he's cruel. You'll think he's absent. When in reality, he's actively loving you. The father disciplines his children whom he loves, right? This is Hebrews 12. Verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So when God disciplines you, as Hebrews 12, 7 says, God is treating you as sons. When adversity comes, realize that your heavenly father, your almighty father is actually loving you because you belong to him and you are heirs of his eternal kingdom. Let his discipline comfort and assure you of his love. Is that hard? Is that a hard truth? Yes. None of us, I think, particularly naturally like that. Uh, But aren't you glad, uh, those of you who were by a loving father who did discipline in a loving way, glad for the discipline? I am. That's my story. Really glad for the loving discipline of, of my dad and my mom. On your own time, read Jesus' parable, The Prodigal Son, in Luke 15. And there your father will reveal himself to you in stunning grace, favor, and love. Now, if all of us stayed around after the service and shared about our lives, everybody had to share. We're not going to do this, by the way, so don't, don't be sweating. You're starting to get up now and, and go, but we're not going to do this. But, it, but let's just say we did. We stayed around, shared about our lives, and I mean we really opened up. I mean we really shared about the brokenness of our lives, experiences of pain from the past. You know, we'd, we'd all hear painful stories of bullying Rejection, abandonment, abuse, adultery, violence, conflict, loss, failure, and on and on. Folks, life is, at many points, very uncomfortable and very painful. And sometimes the struggle feels meaningless. Why does this stuff happen? Why am I going through this? I didn't ask for this. And if we don't work through that question, why does this stuff happen, we will grow angry and bitter and withdraw from others into a world of self-dependence and self-preservation and loneliness. We need to know, confess, and commune with God, our Almighty Father, and to believe that as our Almighty Father, God loves us and is working all things for our salvation. Integral to the gospel itself is is this truth. For the sake of Christ, God is your Father who works all things for your good because He is almighty, because He is faithful, and because He 
loves you, loves you. When you believe that gospel, your life will not become all of a sudden void of pain, void of suffering. No, but when you believe and confess that gospel, you will find the strength to endure the pain. And I would say even heal amidst the pain to become more like Jesus in the pain because you're trusting your father to be all that he truly is for you. Confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty with all of your heart because you actually believe God is your father. God is almighty and God does love you very, very much. Let's pray. Father, it is going to take a work of your grace for us to believe this truth and to see how it applies to our lives. You are our father, and and all of us have father stories where our father really hurt us. And so there's a, a block in this thinking inside of us that it's hard for us to conceive of you as our our almighty and loving Father. Even talking about the idea of power and mixing it with Father brings things to our minds that is hard to work through. But God, you are so pure and righteous and good and loving and merciful and compassionate. You have revealed yourself as our Father to us. This is how we must think of you, but we must think of you um, in this way as a wonderful and good thing. And so, Would you help us to do that despite the pain that our earthly fathers may have caused, despite the things that we have seen, like Nadia and her story? uh, God, help us to connect your provision and goodness and and glory that you are our Father who loves us um, and that you are perfect in every way and that your power actually is what you deploy and use to show us love, to, to keep us for yourself because you've adopted us and you love us. And you sent your son to die for us. And we're going to celebrate a meal here remembering your provision of your son. And so, Father, I I just pray that you would help us to grab these truths and to find deep comfort in them. Your sovereignty, your decrees of creation and providence, your your control of all things, your, your, your love for us, the elect, your people. And so help us to make sense of these things and to find true and deep comfort in them. All for the glory of God, we pray. Amen. Well, the Lord's Supper here at Jerusalem Church is for communing members of Jerusalem Church. However, if you're a visitor uh, and you're a member of another Protestant church and you are walking in repentance and faith under the care of elder shepherds, We welcome you to join us, but before you do, we ask that you would carefully review and complete the visitor participation card that's right in front of you in the pew. Uh, You can review that and fill that out and then return the tear-off portion to the pocket by the pen holder. So to promote and protect the purity of Christ's church and the purity of Christ's table, we kindly ask you to abstain from communion today if... Uh, You don't understand the attestations on the card or can't honestly affirm everything that's on the card. Our elders welcome the opportunity to talk with you and pray with you after the service, so we hope that you will respect 
uh, our attempt to care for you and to uh, care for our church in obedience to God's holy word. I'd like you to imagine something with me. Imagine a precious nine-year-old boy. He was in an accident and he suffered severe brain damage, so he is now in a wheelchair and he's unable to do anything for himself. And his father loves him so much and his father is so proud of him. And every day his father cares for him. He bathes him, he clothes him, he gives him water to drink and food to eat. And when this nine-year-old boy hears his father's voice and receives the loving care from his father, his face just lights up uh, with this big smile. And his, his dad's heart in seeing that is so full in those moments with his son. And, and apart from his father, this precious nine-year-old boy doesn't stand a chance. The Lord's Supper is similar. The effects of sin upon us are severe. Shockingly so, we are unable, we are weak, we cannot care for ourselves, but our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He cleanses us with the blood of Christ. He clothes us with the righteousness of Christ, and He satisfies that deep hunger and thirst of our soul with Christ. We are the boy in the wheelchair, powerless, needy, dependent, And our Heavenly Father provides us the gifts of His Word, which we just received, and His sacraments, which we are about to receive, to sustain our lives, to keep us alive, to keep us strong. True faith is life support faith. It's total dependence. We need God's Word and sacraments to live the Christian life. Without them, we will not make it. The word and sacraments are how our Heavenly Father cares for our souls. He gives us Christ, the body and blood of Christ, to do what? To sustain our lives. The the only thing we bring to the table of the Lord is our need. We, We do not come here to this table to do for him. We come to receive from him. And he is always kind and always generous and always delighted to give us Christ. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When we receive Christ by faith in the word and sacraments, in the supper, our thirsty and hungry souls receive the satisfying grace of God in Christ. When you see me break the bread, and when you see me lift the cup, Remember your father's promise. Christ was broken and he bled on the cross for your redemption. When you receive the bread and the wine, remember your father's promise. Christ will nourish and Christ will refresh your soul to everlasting life with his body and his blood. Now what does it mean to eat and drink? To truly eat and drink is to believe the gospel and to receive the forgiveness of God. You eat and drink and experience greater union with Christ by his spirit By faith alone, you receive strength from Christ. Just as bread and wine, they sustain the body in this life, so the crucified and shed blood of Christ sustain your soul to eternal life. So eat and drink Christ by faith and receive your heavenly Father's love and grace and strength. The Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 